go ahead and, and start with, um, you know, once you introduce yourself, um, who you are, how long you've been with, uh, you know, Georgia Carpet, and, um, and what your role is there. Sure. So my name is Ryan Vaughn. I've been with Georgia Carpet since 2000. Um, it's a family-owned and operated company. My dad started the company in 1980. Um, so it's, uh, we've had the growing pains just like everybody else. We've, uh, you know, start, they started out just wholesale, really uh, selling dealer to dealer. And then in the late 1990s, he got into um, the consumer and the homeowner. And um, so we've just been trying to navigate that process of kind of being a wholesaler and a retailer. And, uh, what I do every day now. Yeah, that's um, super interesting. I remember when I was, um, I came to visit, you had mentioned to me that uh, you had been in the business, I, I guess your dad owned the business. So you started really, really young. So you've been in it a long time. So yeah. can you tell me a little bit about, you know, when you started um, and then some of the things that you've seen in the evolution of the industry since the time that you've been in the business? Sure. So when I when I first came on full-time after college, um, I started out just helping in marketing. Um, I didn't really, even though I grew up in flooring, I didn't know everything about flooring by any means. And so I didn't know a little bit about marketing. That's what I went to school for. And um, we started uh, working in uh, AdWords, or it wasn't even AdWords, it was Yahoo at the time, was the major search platform. And we, um, me and another lady here, we- uh, You're talking late 90s then. Yeah, late 90s. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, we spent a lot of time on ads and what words to bid on. And I mean, at the time, you could bid on words for like two or three cents. Or, you know, yeah, they were cheap. I mean, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was nothing. That's why I, 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 yeah. I did the math on that. I'm like, you were probably hitting Yahoo yeah. and Google when they were, you know, five cents a click. Yeah. It was, <laughs> uh, you know, you could get a lot of clicks for uh, the traffic one there. So, um, but uh, so that's how I started out. I started out and doing marketing and uh, a little bit of paperwork here and there. And then, as I grew more in the business and learned more about flooring, I got into the buying side of it and um, became a lot more familiar with wood and carpet. Carpet was a majority of our business for years. I mean, even up until the last like two or three years, it was over 50%. Um, and then- um, It's still that high? No, now it's about 35%. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, now LBT has definitely taken over in the past, I don't know, five years, I've really focused on learning about LVT, the ins and outs of it, and, you know, trying to compare apples to apples when it comes, because there's so many products out there. It's, I, I really feel our industry is a whole lot harder to encompass than most industries, because there's so many little bitty players, not like when you look at TVs, and there's three or four major brands, and, you know, that's basically all there is. I mean, there's so many different types of flooring, and so, so that's a great, um, a great point you're bringing up, and I'm sort of curious about this myself. I, you know, I've spent the last couple of years getting um, deeper and deeper into the flooring business and focused on LVP since the majority of our um, sales from our retail shop came from LVP, and now we have this um, Staircat product that we're producing also out of the LVP. Um, so, I'm, what I'm really curious in, um, what do you see? are the big differences in terms of, I mean, are there, do you see big quality jumps from manufacturer to manufacturer when you have all these little players and all these products coming in from China and Vietnam, and then you got some companies that are producing stuff, you know, in the States. 
um, what do you what have you noticed in terms of um, the different quality in the products and do you see a big difference? Sure. So when LVT first came into the marketplace, there was a huge difference in quality. Like if you're paying 79 cents or something versus $1.29, like tongues would break off, uh, the, the visuals would delaminate, I mean, really, really bad differences. Um, as the product has evolved, the quality differences are not as noticeable, but you can definitely tell when somebody cheats out, especially on the, uh, the composition of the material. Um, if it's too rigid, it, it, the, the tongues break really easy. It makes it very difficult for DIY. Um, if it's not rigid enough, it, it, to me, it's a little bit harder to install. It, you can't do it by yourself as easy. because the product's a little bit more flimsy and it's just harder to get the tongues locked in there. Um, one of the major differences in quality to me is the locking mechanism itself. Mm -hmm. the, in the end joints, you can tell the people that have spent the money and uh, gotten the license for like I4S or the drop and lock um, end joints, they make a huge difference, especially for DIY people. It makes the experience a whole lot different. Um, visually wise, you can tell when somebody's cheaped out on their, on their um, finish or their visual. This product doesn't look as, um, as clean or look like a real product. Um, so carnine's really good at having a really good visual like when it's installed it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of hard to tell that it's not you know a, a real wood or engineered wood um, and you can tell the Cortex is a great example like they spend a lot of time on their visuals like their higher end products they look really really and they feel really really real like you would the homeowner would have a hard time distinguishing once that floor is down that that's not a real product. Kind of like laminate when it began. Laminate, when it first started, you could tell it was fake. But today's laminate, if it's a high quality product, I, I could put some laminate down and 99% of the people would have no idea it's not real wood. And that's why LVT, I think, is going to where it'll be really, 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 really close to a mimic of a real wood. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you're... Um... You know, for anybody, a homeowner who may stumble upon this uh, podcast, I mean, would you, how would a homeowner know, because a lot of times they're looking at the visuals, they get caught up in the visuals, two things they're looking at, what does the floor look like, trying to imagine it in their home, and how much does it cost, yep. and there's very little um, attention paid, you know, and I'm having these conversations with customers all the time. I have never had a client ask me, well, how good is the locking system? Yep. And clearly that's an important um, thing, both in the installation of the product, especially if they're gonna do it by themselves, like you mentioned, and the longevity and the durability of the product once it's installed. So can you touch on that a little bit? Sure, so um, one thing that I try to educate the consumer when they come in, because a lot of them go to Home Depot or they go to Lowe's or they look online and they find basically the best price for the look that they want and a lot of times some people have something like a dollar 79 or a dollar 99 then you go look up the specs of it well it's either going to be a six mil wear layer which yeah. i wouldn't put in my home and that's the, when i sell somebody that's why i try to tell them like i'm not going to sell you something that i wouldn't put in my home unless you're trying to be like budget conscious just trying to turn a house you know if you're trying to flip a house and you want to just have the lowest price and hey we'll go with a 
entry level product. But um, Home Depot and Lowe's are they do a good job of marketing and they have good visuals, but their product for the most part inferior. Six mil wire layer, the thickness is usually under the 3.5 for a quick, which I found um, the integrity of the locking system is almost none. The, the tongues break really easy. It has a whole lot more chance of coming apart because the locking mechanism is just not that difficult. I mean, not that uh, tight. So there's just a whole lot of room for errors that um, you can't hide. So I, I tell people all the time, you know, nothing's for free and you get what you pay for or what you get. So if you see something that's $1.79 at Home Depot Lowe's and you're trying to find a visual that's similar and you're going into a retail store and their price is $2.59 or $2.79, there's a reason why. Not because Home Depot or Lowe's buys better than us. It's really not. Um, it's just they've taken a product and they've taken stuff that visually doesn't look like it matters out. But in the structural standpoint, it does matter. And it's gonna, in the long run, they're gonna, they're gonna get what they pay for if they buy something like that. So uh, you mentioned the six mil products um, at some of the big box stores and I, I've gone up against uh, customers who are, you know, shopping us against, against the Home Depot or Lowe's and trying to explain to them the difference between a six mil and a 12 mil product. Um, what has your experience been in terms of like, how long do you expect or what would you think uh, life span would be of a six mil product versus a 12 or 20 mil? So one question I always ask is like, what's the lifestyle in your home? You know, do you have kids? Do you have pets? Um, how many people are in your home? And to me, a six mil product is going to last in a, in a normal four person home with like a small dog. It's probably going to last five to 10 years and still look decent. You might notice a little bit more scratching or something like that. Um, but let's just say you have five kids or four kids and you have a big dog. The six mil product is going to be eaten up and it's going to look like a piece of junk in about three to five years. Yeah, I mean, it's, just not I mean. gonna, it's, it's just not going to hold up. I mean, it's just not. Uh, um, the problem with everything in general is it's kind of like. It was sold when it first came out, it was like bulletproof, it's scratch proof, it's waterproof, it's you know, this and that, and that, that's just not the case. And a lot of uh, consumers have a misnomer of, oh, I can put this down and it's going to last forever. I mean, and that's what I try to tell them is most people, no matter if you're buying hardwood, carpet, laminate, or LVT, most people are going to get tired of the product the way it looks before it wears out if it's treated properly. Um, so, uh, I think the box stores and even some manufacturers now, they really oversell LVT and what it can do. Um, there are some, I know there are some new products that are coming out that we've probably all seen in the third, maybe fourth quarter this year that, that really have some performance enhancers that will make it like scratch. I mean, literally it's got a scratch warranty, you know, um, pet, pet, real pet warranties for pets. Is that the um, the products where they're printing the design directly onto the core? No, not direct print products, no. No, okay. What what are you seeing that's coming down the pipeline then? Um, so there are some products from Cortec and from Shaw that um, will have full pet warranties, full scratch warranties, 25 years, that they just have a different finish on them that um, 
that stands up to the traffic. So it's not ceramic bead or they're putting like, is it like a uh, 90 mil wear layer? What's they're not, how they they're doing? Not, they're not really talking about the specs right now. Gotcha. They don't want to give that away. At least they haven't given it to me yet. But um, I would say it has to do more with uh, what they're putting in the wear layer. I don't think it's ceramic bead. Ceramic bead's been out for a long time. Tarkat's had it for years uh, and that's not pet proof. So I don't, I don't think it's ceramic bead. I think it's more like a melamine finish maybe. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the problem with melamine in the past is it made the, the picture look hazy or you know, kind of fake. But mm -hmm. the products I saw looked really realistic. And um, so I, I don't know that for sure, but that's just my guess. But you heard they're rolling those out in third, fourth quarter, is that what you said? Yep. Well, that's kind of cool. Um, interesting to see. Um, the evolution of the technology and sort of um, it jumping, you know, into the future, the products getting even better and uh, more durable and who the players are that end up jumping to the front of the lines. I um, visited floor and decor yesterday and, and they had this new, I can't remember what they call it. It was like titanium cover or something like titanium. Yeah. I think they called it or something like that. And that, uh, I, yeah, the, I had the product in my hand. It looked pretty nice. Um, it was it was solid, um, but I think that's one of the ones where they're printing directly onto the core. Um, I thought that was going to be the next step, but it sounds like maybe some of the manufacturers have figured out had to even go past that um, to come up with something even more durable. Yeah, I mean, some of them have been direct direct printing to the core. I, I think they've had some issues with like the visual, especially not only the visual, but the uh, embossing of those products. Um, I, I don't know all the technical style Give of it, it but texture to it. Yeah. yeah, but there's some reasons that they decided not to push that to the forefront from the big manufacturer side. Cool. Uh, all right, well, we touched on some uh, technical stuff in terms of the product evolution, which is great. Um, I think, uh, you know, the consumer demand is the number one thing that's driving this. I know you mentioned you're still doing about 30, 35% carpet. And, uh, and obviously your, your, the name of your business is Georgia Carpet. And so how is, have you had challenges, you know, from a branding standpoint with so much of the business moving towards solid surface and you guys having carpet in the, in the, the name of the business? And I mean, have you felt like that had any impact? As a marketing guy, you probably have a sense of that. Yeah, I mean, I Personally, the way I see it is like you've seen the drive for LBT. I mean, in flooring, unfortunately, we, we, we always want to think that brands are like the key factor, like Nike and Sony and all that. When flooring, you don't really get that big brand name unless you're, it was in the 80s and 90s, it was Stainmaster and Carpet. And Cortec has probably done the best job of that recently. Um, we, for our branding purposes, we really uh, went with waterproof. You know, that was kind of, because people weren't really sure what LBT was at first. A lot of them called it laminate or, you know. They still don't know. I get that question yeah. five times a day. Yeah. So we kind of went with the waterproof as our branding term. And that's kind of, uh, because the big box stores do it. Big box stores are really the best at getting new products out there because they have a bigger reach and they have a bigger marketing department than any of the flooring brands. Well, uh, importantly, I, I might also add here that um, 
the bigger stores also understand branding. In other words, yeah. they're willing to invest in branding, knowing that they're going to spend money today that might not pay them till tomorrow. Um, exactly. What I found, and you know, as a as a digital marketer with clients all across the country, it is really difficult to get um, a smaller shop to think about investing money in building up even their store brand, forget about a brand of a product, but um, just the investment in brand I find is um, almost non-existent in this, in this business. Um, everybody's worried about the sales, you know, what's, how much is it going to cost me to get a lead and how many conversions am I going to make? And then how many sales am I going to get out of it? Um, nobody, and that's, you know, that's thinking about today. Like I need, I'm going to spend X today and I want to get Y, you know, in a couple of days rather than I'm going to spend X today and next year I'm going to get Z because I built this brand platform and people know who I am, what I do, what I'm all about. Um, it just takes more time. So the, the big box scores, they get that, they understand that concept and they're able to be more patient and um, and reap the rewards down the road a little bit from what I've seen. Yeah, well, so branding from a, like, think of like Ford, think of Chevy, like all the brands that are real brands are pushed by the manufacturers themselves. And in our flooring industry, right? we don't, besides Thingmaster, there hasn't been like a nationally televised ad on like a, ABC, NBC, CBS top channel. I can't tell you, you know, where I've seen one, but uh, we, our manufacturers, they they do build brands, but they don't go away like uh, other big industries do. You know, everybody knows what refrigerator is or Samsung or you know things of that nature. But I mean, as popular as Cortec is, you don't see it on nationally televised. Uh, broadcast channels you'll see it on like hgtv and stuff like that but those are particularly people that are already in the process of looking for you know flooring so when the consumer goes to look for a product yeah there's they'll get some brand recognition then but there's no like top of mind awareness till they need that product yeah but no there really isn't flooring is not so, you, so you haven't had any um any difficulties with georgia carpet in the name um you know being a so primarily so solid surface. Um, no. Nah. Nah. That's cool. Yeah, I've noticed that a few times um, with other clients around the country too. I just was curious to get your feedback since you said you had a marketing background. Um, you might be more aware of, you know, how that's impacting the business. No, with the way we advertise, it, that really doesn't carry it. It doesn't trip up clients at all? No. We <laughs> cool. get confused in the manufacturer from time to time. Which that you can't, I can't tell you how many times we get called like, are you Shaw Industries or, you know, Mark oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I get that all the time. I even have Home Depot and Lowe's call me, like, oh, that's funny. place orders because they think we're the manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you, you mentioned that you have two sides of the business your retail side and then your wholesale side. Yep. Can you tell me a little bit about um, your positioning as a business? Uh, how much, how is that balanced out? Like, what percentage is retail versus? Wholesale, where do you guys really put an emphasis? Is there one that's growing faster than the other? Um, can you touch on that a little bit? Well, so our commercial side or our wholesale side is, um, that's, that's how my dad started business. He started selling truckloads to smaller stores throughout the country and you know, he, uh, he grew his business that way. 
So really, we just have a network of smaller, I call them mom and top dealers or small builders or installers and stuff that we've just had throughout the years. We don't like actively try and go get those people, but we, we just had them and it's word of mouth, that part has grown to where it is today. And it's about 40% of our business. Um, and that's just repeat business that, you know, we have private labels, they call an order. Or we have good deals on a special buy an LVT or wood or whatever, and we'll promote that to them. And then the, the consumer um, is their 60% of our business. And that's basically done through Word of mouth, digital marketing. Um, we do have some, we're on I-75 or right off I-75. So we do have some billboards that see a lot of traffic on a daily basis. But, um, you know, here in marketing, it's, it's a lot to do with, you know, the internet and mm-hmm. where you come up on keywords. And it's a lot of hard work. There's no do magic you, to it. Are you selling your retail stuff? Are you selling to people in your area that are coming in, into the store? Are you trying to drive foot traffic? Are you selling uh, online? Or do you have like uh, e-com going on? What's what's happening there? Uh, our actual shopping cart online is very small because flooring is still, it's a difficult process to know exactly how much you need and it's a difficult process, especially for carpet to ship. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of interaction that either it takes place over an email or um, a phone call or live chat. We do a lot of that too. Um, so we would all love to, you know, have a full-blown storefront on the online and just flip it and orders come in. But yeah, it's just not the case in our industry. I mean, yeah, it's tough. I mean, most people yeah. I find want to see the product in person. They want to touch it. They want to get to know it a little bit. It's kind of like. Mm-hmm buying a car you know you want to test drive it you want to yeah. feel it see what's up see how it handles yeah i mean most people it really is spend 1500 two thousand dollars on a whim and that's basically what our average order is and i think that's close to what the industry average is too so um so it's not like the impulse buy somebody's just not going to jump in the say i want to go buy for you today you know yeah but there are a couple of players out there that are full internet um, or semi-internet, like uh, fast floors and e-floors and some of those players, but they are low-cost providers. I mean, they... They're I really, probably I really, making, yeah, what, really, 10, 20, 30 cents a square foot, you know? Yeah, most times there's, there's single-digit margins, and I, I really think they hurt the industry because they don't provide service and they don't provide the uh, expertise that people need to make sure they're buying the right flooring. And um, they really, for the people that are trying to educate and provide the right product, they really make it difficult. I mean, for somebody like fast forwarders in particular, they're, um, I don't know if you ever looked at their business model, but they basically reach out to foreign dealers like yourself and myself and say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna create an order online and we want you to process it and we're gonna give you a percentage of it. And so, um, and they violate a lot of the uh, a lot of the map policies and things of that nature that uh, the, the manufacturers have a hard time figuring out what they're doing because they go through so many different individuals. You know, uh, I mean, people that want money now, but they don't understand what they're doing to the to the marketplace. Yeah. So back to your process, like, what is um, 
so our cust customers are coming to your store how, or are they are you sending them samples like how, how do you guys yeah, we, we send out a lot of samples um a lot of samples <laughs> um, do you guys charge for them some of them we do uh we we uh it just depends on for charge for it from the manufacturer how many they want you know how how big of a job it is um things of that nature Mm -hmm. um, we look at it on a case by case basis. Oh, but, you do? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, we can't. There for a while, we just gave out samples, you know, whoever needs them, and it's got a little expensive. Yeah, got a lot expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you just have to be kind of qualify each customer and see, you know, how the best way to approach it is. So you must be, are you driving your ads uh, or are you running ads? Uh, I did see a few Facebook ads um have you guys had success with with that are you doing google like what's your mix of of your ads we, we use facebook to drive traffic to our store it we found that to be more effective um, for, like foot traffic yeah because a lot of people look at facebook on a more regional basis or you know a communal basis so we use facebook to drop like in store promotions and things like that um AdWords and SEO stuff. That's all for outside the area. So we're we're about thirty percent in the state of Georgia and the rest of it throughout the country. So your um, your digital ads would be trying to drive people into your website mostly. Yep. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> cool. And uh, do, what do you find? Do, do you have one that's working better than another? Um, in terms uh, of your, do you, do you have one you spend more on than the other because you think it's more effective or less effective or? Well, if you're in advertising on digital wise and you're not focused on Google, then you're missing the boat because I think it's 80% of all traffic in the United States comes from Google. So, I mean, if that's not your your main target, then you're, you're shooting at a smaller pond, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Google's still like the behemoth and it's still the one that takes up the majority of our budget. But I think anybody will find if you just focus on one channel that it's not, it all adds together to, to make a good a good marketing strategy. You can't just focus one way. If you do, if that changes, then you're in trouble. Uh, two, or three, two or three years ago, Google made a huge change to their algorithm and people that were only focused on that, they suffered. And so, can't put all your eggs in one basket and that's, that's what i tell anybody that would be starting up you gotta gotta have a wide net are you running uh do you run most of that or make most of those decisions do you have a team do you outsource no, we, it you we have it we have a team inside we have tried outsourcing in the past and some of it's been good and some of it's been not so good um the problem with having the team is you gotta make sure you have the right people it all comes yeah. down to the right people and that's hard to find and it really is. Yeah, you. Um, and when it first began, anybody could really do it. But today, the technology is so. Uh, I don't want to say it's cumbersome, but they don't make it easy because they want to make money. So it's cumbersome. Uh, no, yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it for you. Uh, you know, I'm I'm running. I'm in the in the backside of Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Google Ads and and. Uh, I mean, shoot, you need a freaking degree to get in there and do this stuff. It, it, it looks a little bit like you're getting ready to send a space shuttle into outer space when, you, when I'm in my Facebook account. Yeah. Um, like numbers <laughs> everywhere. What does it mean? Like the, the, data, the data that's available and the analytics. And like, um, I mean, it's a, I, I could spend 24 hours a day going through and just creating new ads, tweaking ads, 
reviewing the numbers and and probably still not get as much done as I'd like to get done. It's sort of a process um, on on my end to just you know consistently spend time um, you know just when I can going through reviewing, seeing how an ad's performing, how you know what we could do to tweak it, um, testing ads, running you know uh, tests with the same copy and different pictures, running a test with different um, copy and the same pictures, and just seeing what's going to work and what's not going to work. It's um it's a lot. It, it really, those platforms, I think they make them intentionally obtuse. So it would be, I, I don't think they want it in the hands of the layperson necessarily, because they're worried that um, the layperson's going to come in and not really know what they're doing, screw it up and then get frustrated and say, you know what, I'm not going to spend any money on it. So I really think that they're intentionally made it difficult so that you would the, to drive businesses to agencies who understand the in, intricacies of the platforms and understand how to run you know proper ads so that they'll get a return and keep spending money in the thing uh, exactly. that, that's that's my opinion on it yeah they're there to make money I, I don't know how long ago you started like adwords or something but they used to tell you so much data like this word got this much traffic this is what you paid per click they used to it used to be chock full of great information and now it's just if you don't understand how to read the analytics then you're just wasting your time and you're wasting your money because you're not going to get the return you need it really it, it and that's why finding the right people is so important you really got to have somebody who understands that um on the back end in order to um, do it effectively because like you know i have clients all the time we'll get started you know, in, in a month or in two months, and they're not getting the results they kind of hoped or imagined or thought they might get. And, and so they, I do get, I get that. They're like, oh, this Facebook doesn't work for me. Instagram doesn't work for me. And, and I have to remind them like, no, it's working. It's actually working. You know, we'll, we'll see traffic. We'll see all the stuff that it's working. Um, there's either a breakdown of what happens by the time you know, it ends up in your lap or yeah. there's a breakdown, you know, in terms of like, Hey, your every market's a little bit different. Every consumer is a little bit different, you know, finding how each um, area is going to react to a particular creative because the create, you know, it's math and it's art, you know, it's part of looking at the analytics and seeing how many people you get in front of and seeing the cost per thousand that you're spending and the conversion ratios and, and whatnot. Uh, but it's also like, how are you communicating? What are you saying? Um, are you saying it effectively? Is your message resonating? The complexity of the interface, I think, is really, you know, like I said, it's designed to keep the ads in the hands of people who know what they're doing. Because, yeah. you know, even the professionals don't get it right on the first time. You know, it might take 8, 10, 15 different ad campaigns and creatives and, and tweaks and variations before we really find a formula that's going to work in a particular area for a particular client. Um, so you guys there do... all day, but you still have to have salesmen sell them, you know? That's yeah. The other, that's the, that's the other, that's the other big thing. Yeah. So how, how are you guys um, uh, set up? You mentioned that you have uh, like um, online chat and, you, and things like that. I, I'm assuming that you personally don't jump in and, and do those chats. Do you have a team that's, that's doing right. that or like, what's the process yeah, we, there? We have a group that's dedicated to emails and chats and all that good stuff. Um, 
And so we just try to uh, keep those guys focused on that top thing, and then the rest of them will deal with our retail sales and whatnot. So the goal of those guys obviously would be to, um, you know, get the people to come into the store, or are they are they turning them over to um, a salesperson at some point? How do you transition that from the online per people to your sales team? No, they're part of the sales team. So the the people that are doing the chat and stuff, they're all part of the sales team. So they're gotcha. um, they're uh, they're there to complete it all the way through. Oh really? Okay. So you, yeah. So they're trained in uh, in sort of online uh, long distance sort of communication and trying to turn them in, into uh, into an actual customer. And did you find that to be uh, challenging to get? I mean, is that where some of the struggle is finding good people who can take a client from a online inquiry to giving you yep. money for floors? Yep, that's tough. <laughs> Just like finding a good retail salesperson, it's tough. I believe uh, that. Especially in today's marketplace. There's just not that many salespeople out there, and especially not that many salespeople out there that are good with the internet. So Do you try to find people that are experienced in the flooring business and train them on, on online selling, or do you try to find people who are just natural salespeople and you'll teach them floors later? Natural sales is better. Yeah. If, they, if they're educated in flooring, sometimes they have bad habits. So. How many of those guys, do you, how many of those people do you have on your team? So it's better just find a natural salesperson to, uh, to teach them than it is to try to go back through bad uh, habits um usually people that have been in retail floor sales they don't they're not the uh they're not demographic for online sales like most of the online sales are younger people and a little bit more educated than the internet and so it yeah, do you find the um, do you find your customers to also be that way or do you get a uh eight you know a wide age range of uh, people. Well, I think we actually skewed to the older demographic, really. Um, usually that people are more um, price conscious. We'll do a lot more shopping online and even in stores. Yeah. Um, some of the younger demographic is more about ease of uh, accessibility. If they can do it really easy, click a button and be done, then like Amazon is full a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So some people just want ease of use and they'll they don't care what the price is. They just want to click a button and be done. Time. Yep. Time is important. We value time, especially, yep. you know, uh, younger, the generation who's sort of spoiled on the ease of, you know, calling for an Uber and having it show up, you know, with a click of a button on your phone. Exactly. I'm into that at this point. I'm in the yeah, middle. I'm not old and I'm not young. So, <laughs> but I value my time. Uh, yeah. Right. I value my time quite a bit. So, um, well, that's pretty cool. So, uh, last little bit of stuff we'll get to here and then we'll wrap it up. But, um, in terms of like challenges for, for you or things that you're seeing or issues in the, in the industry that kind of, um, you see as potential obstacles to either your growth or just the, the flooring industry in general, you know, what are some of the things that sort of jump out at you? Um, so first generation LVT owners, you know, did they buy a cheap product or they buy their, the correct product they needed? They bought a product that didn't meet their needs. They might have a bad taste in it. So 
they might not repeat by LVT. That's a concern of mine, and it should be a concern for the industry. Because um, there's a lot of product out there and a lot of bad product out there for a while. And so have you have you seen that start to bubble up yet? And if so, like what um, what kind of products are they looking at when they come back around that next time? If they're if they're upset with the, what the experience they had with the LVT. I haven't seen it that much, but I've had a couple of, you know, customers come in, so I've done that already. I didn't like it or, you know, like when it first came out, it was glue down. A lot of telegraphing was out there. And so, you know, it hasn't been out really long enough to have a second generation. I mean, right. Not, not really. So. Um, but you see I, it coming. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, hopefully people had enough good experiences to wear. Um, it'll keep growing. That and I, I think we're in a Halloween bubble now. There's a there's different point of views of how long that bubble will last. Um, so uh, that worries me. But it could be worry for a decade down the road, or it could be worry for six months down the road. You know, or tomorrow. Nobody, yeah, nobody nobody knows. But I mean, someone from the uh, real estate business who got smashed in 2007 and eight, I uh, can tell you that it goes quick. Yeah. It came literally, literally like within one month, I, I, I was, I was on the firing lines in 2000 is really, most people think of it as 2008 and 2009 um, because I was on the firing lines. My clients are subprime mortgage lenders. Um, mm -hmm. I felt it in August, September timeframe of 2007 um, when all of a sudden these, subprime mortgage lenders started closing up shop in the middle of closings. Yeah. Um, it was a mess. So it can go really, really quick and it can cut deep. Um, do you guys have, uh, you know, sort of a plan of, of how you would survive, you know, a pullback? I mean, a pullback's invariably coming because the thing is just on fire right now. Yeah. But, um, you know, how far a pullback pulls back is always, you know, the big question. Hopefully, you know, we could, with the government and the regulatory things and their management of the interest rates and all that stuff. Hopefully, you know, they can find a way to mitigate that a little bit, which, which they did last year when the, um, you know, the virus hit and they came up with these stimulate stimulus packages and supporting businesses and things like that. And it probably stopped us from spiraling into, you know, some, you know, a recession, a strong recession. Um, so maybe it doesn't cut quite as deep, but do you guys have a plan for, um, you know, when things slow down a little bit, do you, do you start cutting staff? Do you, um, you know, cut back on marketing? Do you find ways to get creative in your business? Like what, is, how do you guys overcome when those kind of things happen? Well, since the last recession, we have diversified our business model. Like we, we don't put all our eggs in one basket by any means. And we try to, um, we try to always seek new markets. So, um, if it was a huge downturn, yes, I'm sure we'd have to cut some expenses. Uh, cutting your marketing budget is like cutting the gas out of a car. And so. Hallelujah. Yeah, As a digital marketing a, guy, you know, I'm going to yeah. high five to that one. <laughs> yeah. So any, anybody that that's their first thing they do, then they're just hurting themselves. They're just making the wound worse. If yep. that's your, if that's your first cut, you know, I, I wouldn't do that unless it got to the point of make or break. Like I can't physically afford to pay this bill right. and stay open you know um it's your lifeline i mean especially when the market shrinks you just want to you have to try to take a bigger piece of the pie and that, that's kind of how we're looking at it. we just diversify enough to where 
if when the market shrinks, it's not going to hurt us enough to where we actually have to make huge cuts. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Anything else on your mind you'd like to get off your chest? Uh, no, no, maybe we can do it again later. I actually have another meeting in about, I don't know, 70, 70 seconds or so. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. So we wrapped it up right on time. All right, well, uh, Ryan, man, I really appreciate you taking some time to hang out with me today, talk a little bit of flooring business. Um, I think we covered some really good points, and I think that um, you know our audience will get some value out of the the experience that you that you've had and some of the things that you had to talk about today. So I really appreciate your time. Oh, yeah.